Hello and welcome to Scopy Radio. My name is Dan Johansson. And I'm Maureen Smith. And today we are joined by Bow and Hammer with violinist Kit Sato and pianist Elizabeth Newkirk. Hey guys. Hey guys. How are y'all doing today? Great. We are fantastic. Yeah, we all got coffee. We all got coffee. <laughs> well, I drink tea, but we got coffee. Mm-hmm. What kind of? Nice. What's your go-to tea? Depends if I want caffeine or not. That's fair. Yeah. Cool. What's your caffeine tea? Green tea. What's your non-caffeine tea? Uh, well, they have this Malabar tea here, and it's like a ginger turmeric kind of tea. Mm. And green tea is super generic of a word, but, you know, sencha or whatever, if I'm feeling super fancy, then I go some sort of, like, roasted rice or jasmine or something. Cool. In um, my current shop, we have... Um, we have this really amazing, like, moonlight jasmine tea mm-hmm. that's, like a walk in a flower patch. Yep. It's crazy oh, yeah. good. Um, oh, yeah. And then... You just sit and smell it and it'll do its job. That's my favorite mm-hmm. thing to do is like yep. whenever people are... Hi, baby. Whenever people are trying to decide between teas, I'm like, do you want to smell some stuff? Oh, yeah. yeah. That's like, the best way to do it. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but no, are you ever a matcha person? Sometimes, but I'll go black tea before matcha, just because matcha just tends to give me a punch in the face. Matcha's yeah. jet fuel. Yeah, it's a little much. <laughs> yeah. Me, but. Yeah. Cool. Well, um, you're here today to talk about bow and hammer things, as well as um, your upcoming project, Eleve. Correct. Mm-hmm. We're starting our second season, Eleve, which takes place at uh, Ovation, Chicago, which is on the west side, 2324 West Fulton. And uh, we love this series because it's a wonderful platform for us to really collaborate with whoever we want to. Mm-hmm. And it can be just a larger chamber group, or it can be like it is in October with a visual artist. Yeah. It also gives us a way to collaborate with the space. Ovation is a wonderful team to work with, so we're able to just show how we can all bring our our strengths together to put something, uh, put together a really great event. So mm-hmm. Ovation provides this amazing, beautiful platform of a space for us to work with, um, and their team is just phenomenal. Um, and so it really gives us this space figuratively gives us the space to collaborate with whoever we want. Have you worked worked with them before? Yes. So So. this is our second season, and um, both seasons we've been hosted there, and it's been beyond a privilege. Nice. Yes. Very cool. What is the Ovation space? It's a private event space. It generally, um, it's totally a renovated loft building, and and you can... um, uh, they have uh, an array of events there, anything from weddings to awards to corporate events. Like It's all sorts mm-hmm. of stuff happens there. Yeah. Nice. Cool. Um, I'm curious, because I remember um, Bone Hammer was happening around while I was at Roosevelt, which was like two years ago now. So like, how mm-hmm. long have y'all been collaborating? As a duo? Yeah. Uh, we started in 2012. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And cool. so every year has been quite a journey of expansion and learning curve and um, just kind of, uh, just learning a lot. So um, I'd say I think the first couple of years that we were working, it was a lot of trying to figure out our programming and what we like to program and how we work together to build those programs. And that's an ever evolving curve, but it's been nice over the extensive years or extensive since I don't know, 2014 mm-hmm. we've really started trying to push ourselves as a legitimate business and seeing how we can make our um make ourselves more sustainable that's always the thing i think that like because you know chicago there's just so many folks putting together projects but like it's this long game between the second year and like the 10th year of a project mm-hmm. where you're just trying to like make it sustainable is really the is really the thing right um well if, if for us actually um we spent the first few years i think really i in a acquainting ourselves with the repertoire for violin and piano in our own way because it's actually right. not super addressed in either of our fields one on one it's a it's a completely traditional standard 
instrumentation, mm-hmm. yet not really dealt with in the chamber music world wholeheartedly. So our first few years, we're definitely just really acquainting ourselves with the repertoire and figuring out how to really work the machine of being a violin and piano duo because it, it's it's a completely different, it's not as complicit, I think, yeah. as a trio. And it has its soloistic demands on mm-hmm. both of us and yet the ultimate chamber responsibilities as well. Yeah, I'd love to talk more about that because I think that when you get into certain kinds of um, artistic projects, at a certain point when you're, especially when you're highly trained, right? Like when you've gotten degrees in performance um, and then you leave school and there's this moment where you're like, oh, I have this idea for something, but like it wasn't really something that they talked about in school. And you have that weird moment of like, oh, I need to like do research for this myself, but like I don't really know where to start. And it's just this whole, I feel like people don't talk about that kind of like scary space a lot. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But like where you're like, oh, am I even doing this right? So for, for y'all, how did that, kind of research that R&D time look as far as like, because like what you said, like you go into that thinking like, oh, violin and piano, this is so basic. Like this is so, mm-hmm. there must be like a, a rule book to this, but. Well, I think that, you know, like she was saying, I see it as like trying to find our own style because there, right. was, there wasn't really um, that much basis for us to pull from there really wasn't that much for us to research we had our powerhouse duos who are soloists who like to play together yeah and those kind of started us but um when we started trying to find our own style or own flavor of how we run there was really no guidance so there was a lot of trailblazing in just talking about what worked and um i had more experience with string quartets growing up and I try we tried to apply a lot of that and a lot of it's applicable and a lot of it's not so it was like just trying to figure out it was a lot of throwing spaghetti on the wall and seeing what stuck and Mm -hmm. really running with what stuck because a lot of people would just give us a lot of a lot of spaghetti to throw and a lot of it didn't stick and because a lot of people didn't have this intense experience that we've had as a duo Mm -hmm. because we really committed I would say like a year in not to become a trio very deliberately Mm -hmm. a lot of people were trying to persuade us to add a third person and we very deliberately decided not to so with that came a lot of people a lot of people's advice and coachings were confused not because they are confused people but because they weren't sure what to tell us anymore because yeah. their their guidance to us was get another person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so well, and, and I mean, just the the finding common ground with language because mm-hmm. you would think, oh, you're both classical musicians. Of course, you speak the same thing. Not completely or not totally at all. You know, what different sensitivities to different yeah. terms mm-hmm. and what they mean. Um, physiologically or psych- psychologically what they do to you like right. different things that different trigger triggers. different <laughs> reactions of anxiety and how that makes you play together mm-hmm. and finding out how to trust each other it's way more like a marriage than anything else which yeah. any chamber group will tell you that it is like a marriage with however many people are involved but because it's just the two of us it's really like we have to just sit and ask each other a lot of questions of well, I heard you say this, so what I interpreted this was blank. Is that correct at all? And usually it's not. <laughs> usually, <laughs> no, actually, that's not what I meant. And I'm so sorry. Let me try again. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> well, and this is also beyond the filter of that you don't take it personally. We're not even talking about that. We're talking about, like, getting our idea and finding the right diagnosis for what's going on. Mm-hmm. Because... Musically, it, it, I want this to happen. So... Does that mean you're going to interpret it like this? No, I'm going to take that and do this. No, please don't do that. That's, That's not, not what I want. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, I think what's super interesting is um, I'm really glad that we got to talk to y'all because we mostly, these kinds of conversations we end up having with folks that are doing new music. Mm-hmm. And, and not that that's not something that, I, I don't know if, if y'all do um, some new music or not, but the thing that's interesting to me is um, this conversation of what 
there is as far as building expectations for what chamber ensembles should be. Absolutely. And so what I think is interesting with um, what y'all are doing and what a lot of folks who have a classical mindset and want to look back but don't want to do Baroque or classical. You know, they Mm -hmm. want to do something in the last hundred years. Um, But, you know, in a lot of cases, because of public rights or because of rights or because of whatever, there aren't recordings of it. And I think that there's a weird double standard between new music and music of the last hundred years because, like, you go to a new music show and there's a... depending Depending on the group and depending on, like what kind of stage the performance is in. Like, sometimes, a lot of times, new music stuff is just, like, a workshop kind of space. But I feel like there's not really room for that in the chamber scene, if that makes sense. Like, in a a lot of ways, even, I'd imagine, like, as you're programming things while you're in school, like, there's an expectation that you've... Everything that you're trying to play through is something that you've have a nuanced opinion on because you've listened to it because that's the classical musician mindset. Absolutely. Um, so I guess I'm, I'm curious uh, for um, to that end of the, of the kind of like R&D, like was there just like a, a point where you surveyed through a bunch of stuff somehow to kind of figure out, because you were mentioning about like developing a sound and I think that's super, because you can go through stuff from the last hundred years and all, all, so much of it so there were so many individual arts movements that were mm-hmm. happening yeah I'm, I'm just curious kind of like how it how that kind of went you know the voice finding I feel like it takes a it took a lot of um, really giving ourselves credit for the instinct that we had yeah um, so we we never went with anything that we felt we tried to force ourselves to do different things here and there and it just doesn't work very well Mm -hmm. so we stopped trying to force ourselves there are things that we use to expand our our rep and our technique and that's great but for the most part we get really excited about pieces Mm -hmm. so we get excited about enough of them to make full programs out of it yeah so um, for the next fifty years. For the next fifty years. <laughs> Good. So, yeah. so we have a list going of things, and every year we kind of sit down and we go off of we kind of go off of instinct, like yeah. oh okay, this really moves me this year. Ah, this doesn't move me this year. I don't want to mm-hmm. do it this year. We'll wait. It's a great piece, but not this year. And we kind of pick it, pick um, programs in a full sense. So we have. Kind of our skeleton of we need a big giant piece, we need a bunch of small pieces, maybe we'll talk to some new music composers, see if there's something we want to throw in there, Mm -hmm. and does that balance well with something that's really standard so we can make a really nice arc of a program. And then we have like probably seven to ten contenders for each of those parts and then we just kind of start sticking them in and we end up with probably like two or three programs for a season that we're like oh okay yeah we could do this this year and we kind of I think too one of the most important things that have shaped our playing and our sense of programming is that we basically choose a program for the entire season Mm -hmm. we do not we don't very often take a piece have one performance of it and then drop it Mm -hmm. so we love the relationship with the piece and I mean what it is now like so the performance we have coming up we're playing Bartok what our relationship with the with Bartok now versus what it will be in June will be completely different different. and we Mm -hmm. love giving credit to that process and it's almost disappointing when you only get to play it once right Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah it is a total relationship with the pieces with the programs and so it becomes this odd conversation with this intellectual knowledge, intellectual property of musical relationship. Yeah. Question mark. Yeah. No, you know, it's super, it's super interesting. Um, I, uh, the other thing I do want to make sure we flesh out more to and talk about is, um, your upcoming stuff for the, um, your season and stuff. And so, 
Uh, would you mind telling us a little bit of, a, a little bit more about the first performance in that series? Yeah, so um, for our series Elevate, um, our first concert is October 18th, and um, we'll be the focus of the performance is uh, we're going to be performing the second sonata for violin and piano by Bela Bartok. And we're super excited because we're collaborating with um, our dear friend uh, Yasmin Ali, who's a visual artist, and she has created a three-part installation inspired cool. off of the Bartok sonata. Awesome. Mm -hmm. We're going to begin the concert um, with an oldie but a goodie, uh, Mozart uh, sonata in E minor, but the whole evening will basically be we get this palette opener, if you will, and the main event will be the Bartok with the installation. Nice. Yeah. Um, I should mention the other great thing about Elevate is um, not only our collaboration with Ovation, but our collaboration with Reinhold Distillery. Mm. So. Um, Reinhold Distillery is a brandy distillery that's just down the street on Fulton, mm -hmm. and um, we collaborate with them for uh, two cocktails for the concert. So we um, are just really excited because I think having a drink and a cocktail at the concert punctuates the time just as well as mm -hmm. music itself. I love... so. <clears throat> <clears throat> so what I love about what I've heard about y'all so far is just this intense spirit of collaboration. Mm -hmm. Obviously, between you two, there's like this really strong bond and, you know, you were very dedicated to the idea of, of it just being a relationship between the two of you and your two instruments and your two voices. But um, what's awesome is that you take that beyond your duo mm -hmm. and you have all these partnerships with all these cool people you have you know this distillery you have ovation and then you also have a partnership with metric coffee mm -hmm. yeah absolutely so that is super exciting because um, we have been longtime metricites since they've opened mm -hmm. and finally I um, just asked my friend Darko I was like what do you say about a bow and hammer blend and he's like let's do it and it's a wonderful opportunity really to experience both of us because every bag um, comes with a code for a free download of our new EP. That's awesome. Oh, that's yeah. so cool. Um, we're, 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 you can definitely get it at bowandhammer.com, but uh, we're working on different shops that'll have it for sale as well. So cool. far we have Green Grocer, Chicago, and uh, Local Foods. Dude, that's, that's so smart. So that's <laughs> something that like we've been talking with a few people about people that have put out albums and put out mm -hmm. and I, I think it's an interesting thing of like the albums can really be the thing as an artistic force as, a, as folks that can put together an album of something those can be the things that can really sustain you going forward but yeah. the the battle of getting people to listen to your, to an album for the first time mm -hmm. it's the same thing with a podcast like it's there's always a, just the battle of listen to one episode and then most likely someone will listen to 10. Like, listen to one album and someone will listen to all of your albums. Right. Um, yeah, so, like, was that a, th a thought process as far as, like, oh, buy a bag of coffee and then, like, you know what I mean? Well, for us, it's always, it's always super n natural. Okay, so, so I think what speaks to, I would say both of us, but I'll speak for myself here, me specifically, is I am 100% dedicated to being a regular. Mm -hmm. I love supporting local economy, local food. I'm super inspired by the slow food movement. And this idea that I support those around me is just incredibly important and fulfilling. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's when some people are surprised or shocked, I'm like, well, I don't know. Uh, I drink coffee religiously. And I practice a lot, and I value those those things in life that help me to take time. Mm -hmm. So I think that's sort of a thing that the classical music world is doesn't really embrace very well, is that they try to hide the fact that it takes time. But classical music does take time. Of so course. let's embrace the things <clears throat> that help us enjoy taking time, like yeah. a cup of coffee or a cocktail or you know visually stimulating environments or mm -hmm. making the event special because you know that you want that focus during that time 
Mm-hmm. I feel like one thing, especially with classical musicians, is you have accepted, if you're going to be in the career of classical music, that it's going to be a long, arduous, difficult road of life, and you'll never mm-hmm. blah, 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 blah. <laughs> yeah, we all know that. It's going to be hard. But I think that there's some defensive walls that get put up by accident then, where you think everything has to be hard. And so you're not willing to accept when things don't have to be as hard. So what's been really nice about the way that we've started collaborating with people is just in the same way we had to find our style of what is actually less resistant and actually helps us be better Mm -hmm. because we're not trying to fight everything. When we try to talk with collaboration with other artists, with other businesses, we try to find something that will help everybody mm-hmm. and make everybody's lives a little bit easier. So we're, you know, we're working with Metric. We have this partnership. We're still buying and selling their coffee, so that's helping them out. And at the same time, we get to distribute this for people to listen. And it's just a path of least resistance, actually. Right. And then um, that's what we think all collaboration can be. But it does take a lot of talking. It does take a lot of open-mindedness and um, recognition that it might be in a way you weren't expecting. Mm -hmm. So I don't even think two years ago we would have come up with some of these things necessarily because it just takes time to accept and be really comfortable in what you have to offer Mm -hmm. and where you really need help. So working with other artists is great and sometimes scary because sometimes they come up with stuff that you're like, whoa, that's really cool. Mm-hmm. I'm not that cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, it, you know, ultimately it helps everybody out because everybody ends up looking really great from this thing that you all put together and it doesn't have to mean that you're any less great because you didn't have that one idea, right? So, yeah. yeah. Isn't that always a thing of like... And I, I like live for these moments where I'm collaborating with someone or like, you know, we'll, we'll have people in the studio talking to us and I'll be like, God, they're so much cooler than I am. <laughs> but it's like, it's that's the thing is like that. Or that's what's so cool about this life is that you go around bumping into people that you're just like, man, like I can't bl-, like it's 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 this like ever recycling, ever renewing feeling of just like gratitude Absolutely. for the people that we get to bump into. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and I'm super interested in the idea of um, uh, what it takes to be a great collaborator and not just because I mean you know you could take that on the face level when I asked that about like the the fact that you're a chamber music duo which is inherently based on collaboration but I love what you're talking about as far as collaboration with other folks that are creating which is the the idea of like thoughtfulness you know and and the idea of, of really thinking about where another person is coming from, what another person potentially needs out of a mm-hmm. out of a collaboration. Yeah. Um, I'm curious uh, for y'all. Where do you think it is that you like learned that, or like kind of keyed into? Like, is that even a thing that do you think it was just it's just a predisposition that you that you're natural? Maybe you have m- maybe more empathic natures than like. Do you know what I mean? Like, well. I, I, I would start. say <laughs> I would say there is a naturalness definitely I, I do think we can give ourselves I think a little credit of that that it, yeah. it does come natural to us to think this way um, but frankly I've I've definitely gone on many tangents in sort of seeing that this is this makes the most sense at the same time. Mm-hmm. Like I, I find it disturbing when people struggle to relate, and that when people struggle to connect empathy and talking about the economy, for instance, mm-hmm. like the efficiency of making sure that this, like that our collaboration with, let's say, metric would not be fulfilling would not work if it wasn't mutually beneficial Mm -hmm. so it's like thinking in those terms actually is just actually more economical it's more efficient and i yeah i guess it's hard because i think that just like she was saying i think there is a predisposition and like i remember growing up and being the sensitive kid and like but that's not, that doesn't make everybody feel good, you know, and I always thought that was going to be a big problem in my life, but actually it's 
been very helpful as I've gotten older, but turning it into a business plan is a totally different thing. And so um, what we've found is the ways in which being considerate really does save everybody time. And just like if an employer pays you more so that you don't have to worry about working somewhere else, it's like it makes sense for them to spend a little bit more of their investment on you and then you're happier and you can invest more in them. And it doesn't have to look like this squishy, warm, fuzzy thing. It can actually be fairly cut and dry, but ultimately if the bottom line is that everybody is coming out of this better, then it's sustainable then it's, then it's sustainable because it's it's about progressing all of us together and if we don't do that then people do get left behind and people do get left in the dust and and tickets don't sell and tickets don't and sell and classical economies. music's in trouble and all these other things it's like if you don't think about like the audience needs preparation now like the, it's a, it's a triangle of sorts and we we really, um, we coined our own term, uh, we call it root built. Mm -hmm. And that's like kind of what we talk about, like with our process of it, that it's like, you know, the respect of the art itself, the respect of the performer and the respect of the audience. And it's like the performer could be all of our collaboration, but it's just an intense dialogue that I think if all three points aren't addressed, then I don't know how we're going to sustain it, you know? Yeah. Well, and I think it's super interesting, too, because for some reason I end up... Maybe this is something that I had to get over at a certain point as we, we as I've worked on projects. and But the idea of, um, you know, when you're doing something and then someone else is doing something, maybe not even super similar, but just kind of like in the same vein, it's hard to fight the idea that like there's competition happening. Mm -hmm. and, and maybe if there is, like it's it's healthy or maybe it's not. And, you know, I'm... But I think that it can do disservice to the idea of collaboration because ideally, like exactly what you said, like we just want to be creating a rich mm -hmm. scene. Like I almost think that um, it's something that we talk about a lot is the idea of Chicago as national arts hub, you know, mm -hmm. thinking about it, not necessarily thinking about it like I need to be the best thing in Chicago, period. Like we need to make Chicago something that is we're as proud of it already. Do you know what I mean? Because like the folks that the folks that are here have that very local, very Chicago is something special um, for so many reasons, kind of sensibility. But in a lot of ways, like I mean, that's the the myth of Chicago is that it's this overlooked second city kind of thing, and then it's it's the fly like between L.A. and uh, New York. It's a mm -hmm. um, Apparently, Chicago is where brunch was invented because um, people flying from Los Angeles, there wasn't enough fuel in the plane to make it to New York, so the plan would the plane would land mid morning, and people would get late breakfast. And Chicago has some of the best food, so. Well, yeah, and so that's actually this will be a, a good kind of transition into the general conversation. But what do you think? This is something I've been asking lately. Chicago means to you as artists, the city of Chicago, specifically, like we've, in we've, any way. Yeah, we have actually talked about this quite a bit. Um, I think that Chicago is sometimes a more difficult place to, to live and work as an artist than the coasts, because mm -hmm. I think the coasts have very strong identities with what kind of projects they like to propose. And Chicago in the middle, geographically is in the middle and weather-wise has the short end of the stick <laughs> and um to put it kindly yeah. and there's a lot of things that um we do have to deal with in chicago um and it being coming from being a factory kind of town there's a lot of um working class kind of mentality mm -hmm. and a lot of people are much more protective of their funds and their financing so mm -hmm. getting funding in Chicago is very difficult um, can be very difficult it's not impossible but can be very difficult because um, you know on the coast there's a lot more kind of avant-garde gung-ho-ness about things and we're a little bit more Midwest we're a little bit more conservative about any of those things yeah. um, 
But it doesn't mean that there's what's great is that there is this slow burn kind of passion. We make it through Chicago winters every year, so we still survive somehow. And that mentality, I think, is really true throughout people who really live and work here is that we're determined to make it happen mm -hmm. in a different way than the cutting edge of New York or the um, extrovertedness of L.A., we have this slow burn that we know deep down we may not say it as loud all the time but we know that we have something worthwhile and people will wise up and they'll get there so um, i feel like as an artist it's difficult in some ways because it's sometimes more difficult to be heard mm -hmm. but um i think that there are a lot of really great groups who have come out of chicago and they all have that same kind of drive that mm -hmm. same slow burn drive where they're not going to be deterred by a funder falling through or a concert failing, um, which are all really terrible things. You feel awful after any of those things happen, <laughs> but um, yeah. but it's not gonna it's not gonna destroy you because you know we have a city that burned down already and we're okay. You know, right. it's like that's actually a super poignant point. The idea that Chicago has burned to the ground mm -hmm. once. Mm -hmm. And here we are. Absolutely. Well, uh, tell me if this is getting too dark, but the thing that's really interesting <laughs> artistically is, like, the idea... There's a lot of... In, in art, like, I don't know if you've ever watched... I'm trying to, like, balance this with as much before I get to the blow of... But like, have you ever watched, like, Adventure Time? No. Or, like, um... Oh, you're gonna take this to an apocalypse place? Well, I'm just saying, like, I, I feel like there is a lot of that kind of, like fear in the artistic ethos. I mean, it's like one of those things yeah. that you, um, it, it's, it's hard for, sometimes it's hard for the world to not invade into the artistic space. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I, I love that thought. That was my point really. Yeah. Is that, that I love that thought to that end of like, I don't know the, I don't know why I immediately thought of Adventure Time. I'm sorry. But like the, <laughs> the idea that things exist at okay so like one of the shows that i saw at the goodman yesterday was called continuity and it was specifically about climate change and it was about a, a studio movie trying to be made about climate change and like figuring out how to tell the story of it because like how do you tell the story of it because there's like science that proves that um people that uh watch things like that that are like activist based end up not doing it anyway so it's like what's the point of letting too much politics get into like art making itself and of course there's like all kinds of thoughts and everybody right into the show and let me know what you think about all the nuances that implied there but anyway the um the thing that was so interesting about it was like <laughs> it Pick, it painted this picture of like one of the jokes was just like that the group that's gonna rise up out of it are gonna be like a rat race of of beings or something like that and just like the humor there like I think that there's just such a weird comfort in that and I've now gone so far down a tangent mm -hmm. <laughs> I have a mentor actually whose favorite city in the world is Rome okay yeah and I asked her why that was and she's a very deliberate spoken person and she goes well you know what and she goes well because you figure if a city has burned down as many times as rome has and is still around they're not panicked about the little things anymore yeah they know they'll survive and there's a pride in that and so i i i take that with a little bit of pride as a chicagoan and been like okay well it hasn't been as many times as rome but mm -hmm. we're still around and we know that we can make it so yeah, and with that and that, you need to, we need to keep fighting for the things that we believe in. In that, I mm -hmm. think, and and it's almost easier to me. It's almost easier to do that with that mindset than like being like, "There's no hope," you know. Yeah, I think it actually almost releases you from of some of the angst of having to fight necessarily, right. quote unquote, because there's just kind of a stability in knowing that what you're doing is important. Mm -hmm. So, of course, you have to do a lot of fighting to actually be heard, yes. Mm -hmm. But but ultimately, if you really believe in your thing, you just have to find the right voice to do it because 
it survived this long. So if it survived this long, there must be something to it. Absolutely. Well, I want to I want to tie up some themes here, and so what I want to ask about is um, kind of all of this conversation is kind of making me think a lot about collaboration in Chicago. It's not something that we've really talked about too much specifically, but the idea of how important and and how it's it's really starting to come up into the way that people think about their art making, but the idea of cross genre stuff and how best to do it. Um, you know, and I, I think that Chicago being potentially more of a melting melting pot, especially of ideas between LA and New York, mm-hmm. the the idea of melding these things together and finding these marriages are, are even is even more important. Um, so I'm kind of curious uh, for y'all as for the things that we've kind of been like talking about with Chicago and especially um, with your art making. Um, you know, what do you think that collaboration means for Chicago? I think one of the most important things for us has been instead of melting everybody together so that you kind of lose your identity, it's mm-hmm. more the salad bowl kind of idea. Right. Um, is that we really are trying to protect everybody's individual identity. And that doesn't have to mean autonomy and isolation. That means that we're actually celebrating all of the reasons why we are individual in what we do, which also relieves us about competition, kind of what you were saying. Right. Is that we totally value another group who's doing their own thing because mm-hmm. we don't want to have to expend all the energy to do what they're doing, too. Right. We yeah. want to do what we're doing, and they can do what they're doing. And if we want to come together, then we'll just value those things separately to make something that we can't do on our own because there's only so many hands that we only have two four hands four hands <laughs> between the two of us uh-huh. yeah. piano joke yeah. <laughs> anyway so um, we as collaborators that is kind of the biggest thing that we go into is collaboration doesn't mean losing your identity collaboration mm. in fact means very strongly standing upon your identity with the idea that it can work with somebody else it's a yeah, it's it, a fine line, I think. I think it's just also too a matter of perspective. Mm-hmm. It's like I like when we we work a lot with a lot of we work with a lot of businesses and entities totally outside the music realm completely, right? Mm-hmm. And and art. Yeah, yeah, just yeah. and what's what's always uh, shocking is when people are like how does that how does that go together and it's like how does it my question is always like, well, how does it not go together? Right. Like, like why shouldn't it? How does yeah. it not? Don't you see that your art matters to other people? Like, yeah. And right. like, and, and, uh, I don't, this whole like being threatened thing. I, it's like, it's crazy. Cause I don't feel like when we, one reason why we continue to love collaborating outside the music realm is because it's not foreign to them, mm-hmm. especially in the culinary world. It is not, it's not a foreign idea at all. Yeah, I mean, and, there are so many so many places you go where it'll be like, it'll have like a, on a chalkboard next to the menu, like a list of all of the people who collaborate with them. Mm-hmm. Like we get, we get our lettuce from this farm, we get our eggs from this farm, yeah. we get our lamb from this, you know, place and like. And it's beautiful when you do that because you, you want people to be aware of the entire process that it takes for you to dine and what I love too about how what the culinary world has done is they've helped to create a culture around it in which people are wanting to go there and expect something new mm. and experience something expect wrong word experience something new and learn and, mm. and I think and, it's an inherent recognition that you can't do it all yourself I think that I think that you know there's all sorts of articles about millennials being lazy and da 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 but I I I personally feel like a lot of times people disengage because they feel like if they try to engage, they have to do it all. Yeah. And so there's this fear of failing because there's no way you could possibly do it all. But we've been kind of taught that, you know, (laughs) if you don't have this skill, get better at it. Right. The, the, The solution anymore is not to find somebody who's on the same page as you who has that skill. Right. So you get these businesses that are built on the on two people who are exactly the same and they have the same strengths and the same weaknesses and it falls apart because 
nobody's able to admit that they can't do it all and they're too afraid to reach out to admit that they can't do it all so i think like that list at a, at a source restaurant is great because it's inherently admitting hey we can't do this by ourselves but these are some people who need us too and so we actually need each other and they're great at it and they're great yeah. at it so thanks yeah. guys <laughs> they're great yeah. at it so. and i love celebrating that they're great at it and because they're great at it now we're great at this Right. Yeah, like and that's the beauty of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And especially when you realize that like something like food, like you there are there's so much that gets can get tied along with the idea of locally sourcing things. Usually it's better for the environment, usually it's yep. better for and ultimately it's just better for everyone, but going that extra step and pointing out that extra step can be such a hard thing I think some for some people. Yeah, and I think that Ultimately, you know, the idea of these local collaborations and like it, it not being so unusual that local music- musicians would partner with local businesses and local artists would partner with, you know, all of these local things, like it makes everyone feel better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I know that when I go into a place, <coughs> I know that when I go into like a restaurant or something and I like don't, maybe I'm just a snob, maybe I've been in restaurants too long, but if I like don't see like where they got their stuff, I'm like, oh, this got trucked in. Like, yeah. this. No, me too. <laughs> <laughs> like this, this arrived in boxes and plastic bags from a warehouse. And like, I don't, like it it takes the joy out of it it takes the passion out of it and so i think that tapping into other people's passions and other people's joy and other people's dreams it just it makes sense yeah and but but even um we we often deal with the the snob comments with the with the food and all that but it's like that's why i said that those words like economy economical it is the fact that we know that it takes farming, you are saving so much money down the road by farming, by sustainable farming practices right now. Mm-hmm. We're saving, and the fact that you're supporting them, we now are supporting all these people. It's like, it's, there's nothing frou-frou about it, you know? Right. Well, and, and you spoke of time and how much time something takes, mm-hmm. you know, and as classical musicians, you know, you said that like, it takes time to get there. It's a long, arduous journey. It's, it's not like you're going to wake up tomorrow and be able to play or perform or sing, you know, like whatever, like that hardest piece that like that, you know, dream piece, if you don't actually work at it. And so the idea of like, being labeled as a snob for being like a perfectionist, like that translates to us, like, putting in the work and being like no i'm not a snob i just want to do it right and it's the same thing with food it's like no these are people who are just dedicated to doing it right yeah Mm -hmm. a lot of small businesses even not food have that same mentality and any small business owner you meet is a little scary at first because (laughs) they have this vision and they're labeled quote-unquote crazy because of this vision whereas that's kind of the value in it is that it's this passion that you talked about tapping into. Everybody feels better when you're investing in something that has investment. Yep. Like everybody feels good from that. So why not? Um, why why remove that? Why make that the cold part? Yeah. You know. Whereas, yeah. I'd love to talk a little bit more about the music if that's cool. Um, <laughs> The what? what? We're the, yeah. Um, no, this has been super interesting. I didn't mean to. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm curious, uh, what kind of rep do you find yourselves gravitating towards? Oh. Uh, oh, well, I'll take this one. So, um, I'm pretty much obsessed with the year 1917. Okay. And um, we find ourselves... I guess I'll take the blame for that. Uh, a lot in the early 20th century, mm-hmm. I am I am fascinated, obsessed, love, totally committed to my relationship with uh, French music and early 20th century. Right, but we you know diverse diversify ourselves by I'll take credit for that. Yeah, you know, by um, <laughs> really really always putting together a program that's balanced and um, I guess. Uh, checks off a lot of boxes for us musically artistically and we hope for a wide range of 
you know, palettes with the audience. So I think too, what's nice about our programming is that um, we do, I mean, we do gravitate towards a lot of early 20th century and that's great. But I think what's nice about it is recognizing that the music um, from any era um, is talking about the same kinds of experiences. You know, if you humanize Mozart, who is dragged around by his dad at 13 through whatever, and just, he went to like 20 different countries in a year or something. Like, if you see that many things in a year, you'll have a really different perspective on life. And if, you know, you're forced to wake up at four in the morning to do your stuff every day, like, your reality in, is way different. And so it's not really that surprising that by the time he died, he had written all this stuff because he had a lot of really crazy experiences before then. But if you think about, people romanticize that, but they don't think about what that actually felt like probably for this four-year-old kid. I just want to sleep with my teddy bear and I have to sit at this piano. Okay, great. But so what's nice is like when we play things like Mozart next to something like Bartok, it's still preserving something that's the same. It's still mm -hmm. preserving a glimpse of humanity in their senses with their emotions. Um, and so, like, this, the E minor sonata is the only minor sonata that he wrote for violin and piano. And it's really, like, it's, it's very short, it's very concise, it's very sweet in a haunting kind of way. And it was written right after his mom died, who he wasn't there to, he wasn't able to be there for her. Because he was being dragged around all these countries instead. Uh, so he, like, wasn't allowed. And also he was trying to raise money. Yeah, so he was trying to raise money by, <laughs> by being dragged around these countries. And his mom is dying and he can't mm -hmm. be there. He can't afford to like, be there Like, jeez, that's was... crazy. And Bartok, you know, on the flip side, he's dragging around this, like, wax sound recorder to try to preserve these folk songs, these gypsy songs, these Eastern European peasant songs that are he's so afraid of them dying away because of the industrial revolution and recording and war. So, and war and so he's afraid that all these things are going to be taken away so this whole sonata is like this big homage to to all of these folk songs mashed into one crazy almost atonal sonata and so you know it's like yeah they're super different but then if you're like oh but they're all about preserving something, they were writing something, then it's not actually that different. And so then we're able to put them into a program together. And and um, to connect it with the visual artist, Yasmin Ali is a, a Palestinian um, artist who grew up singing folk songs and like would sing with her family and it was just like such a big part of her life. And so it's like, she, in a sense, with her art, is also wanting to preserve this language that is just intrinsic and represents a whole and her, like, slew of... And her installation actually includes a bunch of discarded pieces of fabric and discarded materials. So she's repurposed them for the purpose of saving them, Yeah, actually. And giving them new meaning. Yeah. And so it's like just... It, it like can all really come full circle, and it's without even romanticizing it can just make connect a lot more things poignantly mm -hmm. so that's kind of how we try to approach our programming is looking at it that way so um yeah we do gravitate towards sort of a certain era but then um starting there and branching out yeah, is what and, we like yeah. to connect the dots yeah nice yeah awesome uh well we have a couple minutes left cool. so the last thing we do with all of our guests is a one-minute plug for anything they have upcoming. Sometimes that's very obvious, like um, like a performance that is coming up at Ovation. Uh, otherwise, it can be... Uh, we love also hearing about um, other th folks that you think are doing dope work. Uh, and we also love hearing about like self-care stuff, TV shows, books, movies, anything like that. Also, like where we can find you, like where people yeah. can donate. Sure. Like that. So we have our website, www.bowenhammer.com. And um, Elizabeth has done a fantastic job linking all of our other things to that website. So you can find all <laughs> well, this. Thank you. Oh, no, it's hard. It's, <laughs> it's hard to. It's really hard. Well, so just, of course, um, just a minute. tickets are on sale for LOVA <laughs> as we speak, and it's October 18th. Um, each ticket that you purchase um, includes two or three drink tickets based on what you. There's which, two which, price points. Yeah, you which can variety you got? Two or three. Um, but some other goodies to check out on our website is one, the coffee, the Bonehammer blend uh, that we have for Metric is on sale on our website as well. You can just go to the merch tab. 
And then um, I'll let Kit tell you about how you can support us is through Patreon. We have a patronage website on patreon.com is a patronage website. And um, we have set up a monthly contribution membership type of thing. And all that costs is $5 a month to become part of it. And so basically that supports our collaborators, people like Yasmin and uh, Ryan Hall and Ovation, um, our photographers, anybody who we're collaborating with to fulfill, um, that fund goes 100% to that. Mm-hmm. So we're actually still not seeing the money for that. Like it's really going so that we can keep doing these things to highlight different ways that we can connect with other people. Mm-hmm. $5 a month, it gets you um, an EP. It gets you also a discount on anything you buy off of our website. Um, we pre-release some news on there, some footage, some things like that. So it's just kind of a nice community to see what we're up to that way. Um, but yeah, just five dollars a month, so it's less than Netflix or Spotify or Amazon Prime, and yeah, right. <laughs> and again, all of this you can find on our website at bowenhammer.com. Cool. Yeah. Very cool. All right. Well, thank you all so much for listening. I've been Daniel Johansson. I continue to be Maureen Smith. If you want to keep up with what we are up to, there are so many ways that you can do that. You can first off head to scoffymac.com. That's our site. We post all of our articles there, all of our podcast episodes, as well as all of our studios and sessions. Um, yeah. Keep posted about the Hearing Color Philippines concert. If you haven't heard about that yet, do check that out. The event is on our Facebook page. Uh, this as Thursday. Far as our, this, it's this Thursday, 7 p.m. Uh, we have a bunch of Filipino singers that program a Filipino concert of all Filipino music. Uh, that we had I, nothing to do with. That we had nothing to do with. Because we're not Filipino. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, so check that out. Um, otherwise, you can find us on social media. On Facebook, we are under Scopy Magazine. On Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, Google Play, and iTunes Podcasts, we are under Scopy Mag. We spell that S-C-A-P-I-M-A-G. And as always, I'm here to emphasize the importance of donations. We run on a shoestring budget. Everything that we've been able to do up to this point has been through your generosity. So first of all, thank you so much. Second of all, we could use a little bit more help. If you're in a position to give, you can head to our website, scopymag.com. Go to our About section. Uh, There are a couple ways that you can give. You can do a one-time donation. If you choose to do that, you will have our eternal gratitude. If you choose to give on a monthly level, some cool things will happen. First of all, our next two donors at any level will receive a free bag of half-wit coffee. At $10 a month, you'll receive one free session per month of studio photography with Daniel in our space. At $25 a month or above, you'll be a part of our affiliate program. We're grateful to our donors at every level, but our affiliates are individuals, businesses, and organizations who support our mission of uplifting local arts and independent media at a higher level. We believe that such generosity during this time deserves recognition, so our affiliates will be featured on our website with a link to their website or social media as a means of advertisement and will receive a Scopy affiliate window sticker. Um, And when I say advertisement, I, I mean, you know, our website traffic is pretty substantial. We're getting about 2,000 views a week. Um, so it ends up being cheaper than like Facebook marketing. Um, so give a little, give a lot. And if you can't give, then listen, participate, and share. Cool. Thanks again so much for listening. Go out and make something. Yep. <laughs>